So Money, episode 990, Zainab Salbi, founder of Women for Women International. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You know, I just had to respond to the life that was given to me and that I end up living, you know. And so when I came to America in an arranged marriage of a man who was a horrible man who ended up abusing me, and I soon, like within three months, I had to escape from him, it was much more surviving, you know, the the circumstances rather than thinking, what if? A true survivor is on our guest today. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Very honored to soon unleash my interview with the one and only Zainab Salbi. She is the founder of Women for Women International, a grassroots organization that helps women in the most devastatingly damaged communities in the world. The concept is simple. One woman here can sponsor one woman there to help her receive the business and life skills that will transform her family and her community. The model has grown and Zainab and her team have had the opportunity to help over 478,000 marginalized women in eight conflict areas. For her work creating Women for Women, Zainab was recently awarded the Eleanor Roosevelt Award and her work doesn't stop there. She's moved on from Women for Women International and has entered the media arena, creating award-winning documentaries. She's the executive producer and host of Through Her Eyes at Yahoo News and the author of Freedom is an Inside Job. As you just heard her talk about her beginnings, tragic. Born in Iraq during the Saddam Hussein era and sent to the United States for a better life, but to an arranged marriage, and that became a scary time. But soon she found refuge here in the country and went on to develop her nonprofit and the rest I'm excited to share with you in this interview. Here is Zainab Salbi. Zainab Salbi, welcome to So Money. It's an honor. Thank you so much. The honor is mine. Where are you calling in from? You travel the New world. York. Where are you today? New York. If you may hear sirens, it's, uh, it's just being in New York. Well, same. I'm in Brooklyn, so uh, I'm right there with you. Your story is uh, incredible. I want to start with your upbringing. I think this is so much where your story begins, right? As so many of our childhoods define the next um, steps and where we land as adults. And you are originally from Iraq and you grew up in the uh, Iraq era of Saddam Hussein. Your father was his pilot and... Can you take us to that time in your life and share a little bit about the hopes and dreams you had as a young girl and what was the future in your mind at that point? What was sort of the the best case scenario for you as you remember it growing up in those in that time? Well, first of all, thank you. You know, I get asked a lot about my past, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, and and. The, you know, uh, the story and especially my relationship with Saddam Hussein and all of that. But no one has really asked me about my dreams and ambitions in Iraq. It's this, the question always assume, assumes um, uh, oppression, um, which is not that there isn't, but I actually was very ambitious um, young kid. And, and I always say my dedication to change really 
I, I would say it was in, you know, it, it just was me. I don't think it was encouraged, nor was it discouraged, but it was always me. So I remember my first form of activism, I would say, is uh, back home, our schools are separated, girls and boys uh, from each other. And but there was so much tension, as you know, going to an all girls school, the boys always like, you know, waiting for us as we get out of school. And I wrote a major paper, I think I was like, you know, seventh grade. And then I made sure that the, the headmistress uh, reads it. And then I took it to the board or that, all of that, that why we should be connected to each other and have mixed education as a healthier way of education. Um, and then when I was young, a teenager, my mother used to let me she really encouraged me. I went out of her way, I would say, to make me read all kinds of books about feminism and in Arabic at that time, all of it, of course, in Arabic. Um, so somewhere from Arab feminists and she made me also read about and some from, um, you know, foreign feminists. But she also made me read books about oppression of of marginalized people. I mean, the one that I remember the most is her making me read Roots. Um, and this is an Iraqi woman born and raised in Iraq. I mean, she's what was well-traveled, but I really appreciate an hindsight, you know, the kind of books that she put in front of me, you know, um, it, they were intentional. And so when I was 16 years old, I, one time we were driving together, my mom and I, and I looked at her and I said, mom, when I grow older, I want to help women around the world. And to be honest, I said, I want to help Arab women at that time. You know, I, you know, my world was not <laughs> big, you know, it was like sort of went beyond Iraq and maybe the region, but didn't, didn't never fathom that I will actually live a different life in America and, and more global. And she looked at me and she said, and you can. And that was the best gift my mother, one of the best gifts my mother gave me. And I would think anybody can give anybody else today is when you hear someone else's dreams, um, and ambitions, as crazy as they may sound, you know, just believe in them because that belief makes all the difference. And, you know, in, you know, for the, in my life, you know, I just obviously started a few things, some social entrepreneur, you know, take risk and all of these things. And I can't tell you how many times people say you cannot do that. Oh, no, no, it's not done. And then I go ahead and do it. And so I feel like my mom, as my young social entrepreneur person, you know, my mom was my first investor of simply saying, yes, you can do it. You know, I believe in you. And that just makes all the difference in one's life. So I had like, so I always spoke up about women's rights since I was a child, I would say, you know, and being in a dynamic with Saddam Hussein, I mean, I grew up being in a social event with him and I was sort of, sort of break the rules as in, you know, speak up my mind, you know, and everyone would look at me, give me the look, you know, like, shut up, like you're in front of the president. And, and I was like, oops, sorry. And he would say, no, you can do that. So I learned from an early stage, I would say that every time I crossed the boundaries of what is the societal norms told me um, you cannot cross these boundaries. And there were so many from hanging out with, you know, men rather than being separated from them to speaking up in front of the dictator rather than fearing, you know, every time I crossed the boundaries and I did it, you know, not with aggression, but just out of curiosity, 
I learned that people don't reject you to do that, you know, and that sometimes I learned that we actually censor ourselves because society tells us this or that. And as a result of our own self-censorship, we censor our dreams. And, and I would say my gift has been, I just crossed it over and over. And sometimes I failed right on my face and sometimes I didn't. And, and being in growing up in Iraq didn't change my dreams or ambitions about actually wanting to change the world or in that case, you know, help be in service of women. Wow. That's incredible. So always wanted to be a change agent, always uh, was willing to kind of put yourself out there regardless of where you were. And, you know, your life changed dramatically when at 19, your mother had you um, enter into an arranged marriage in the United States that was an abusive relationship. And so I want to, do you ever think about what, what, what if you didn't leave Iraq? What, ha, what, what would have been your fate? How would you have uh, maybe gone on to start your nonprofit or maybe something else? Like, do you ever think about what if? It's a very good question. Again, no, I don't think what if, because I just, you know, I just had to respond to the life that was given to me and that I end up living, you know? And so when I came to America in an arranged marriage of a man who was a horrible man who ended up abusing me, and I soon, like within three months, I had to escape from him. It was much more surviving, you know, the, the circumstances rather than thinking, what if, you know, it left me angry at my parents for putting me in this position, you know, and it took me 10 years, nine years to learn that they did that to save me from the, you know, from Saddam Hussein's eyes and from the oppression that they were surrounded with in Iraq and confronted with in Iraq. But it was much more surviving it. I would say, though, in fairness, the way I thought about it is that, you know, despite the, you know, the, the, the challenging, very challenging circumstances in which I came to this country and found myself in, you know, when I left that abusive marriage, I had $400 in my pocket in a time uh, during the first Gulf War. So I was a, a foreigner from Iraq with no money, no family in the country that was actually fighting, you know, my home country. So it was a scary position to be at. But, you know, but I also so and, and you know, I think I'm a product equally of the generosity of in America, to be honest, you know, so I always you know, the, the, and, and not the generosity of people like, yes, you know, people walk to me and they said, how can we help you? How can we support you? And we're like strangers and foreigners. And I have loads of stories of that beauty. But it also was living in a country that allowed me to be to fulfill my dreams, regardless of who I am and who my father was. Actually, no one cared who my father was until, you know, people knew who I who really I was, you know, until I wrote my book. And that was whatever, 13, 15 years ago. And so I more have always understood that America gave me the freedom America has gave me the opportunities to manifest my dreams. Back home, I would have always been called the daughter of Saddam Hussein's pilot. And I would have always resisted probably, you know, in terms of people looking at me and my identities, but I don't know what would have been my destiny in a culture that is not only of fear at that time, 
But also there was one war after the other. I mean, I left Iraq and by the time I came back to it, it was destroyed. It is destroyed right now. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I would say, I, so I appreciate the freedom America gave. And I understand there was a lot of limitations my own society gave, but also there was a lot of beauty my own society gave that I do miss in, in sometimes. What did you bring with you to the States that was in your in your mind like financially helpful was there um were there lessons that you learned from your mother from culture that helped you when you got here allowing you to financially support yourself after you left that abusive relationship there was a 3 year period when you were working on building your nonprofit women for women international you mentioned the generosity of people around you strangers but surely you had also had to have had some financial wherewithal at least a an, a, a sort of survival instinct and i'm just curious what that was like and take us there again very good question say I came from a culture where we save our cash, you know, you know, and we don't spend what we don't have. I was shocked. You know, I, I, I later got married to, you know, uh, to someone that I fell in love with here in America and we didn't have money. I mean, we were married, but like still kids were still going to college and we really didn't have money. And he would like buy his car of dreams, even though we couldn't afford it, you know, or like he always, and I was like, what you do that in America? But he, uh, and so the whole idea of financing everything and putting everything on credit cards and not saving was actually very foreign to me. And I come from a culture where you save your money constantly, you know, you spend only what you have and you never put anything on credit. Well, you, you can't put anything on credit cards because there were no credit cards, you know? And so I actually think that was a very valuable um, habit that I brought with me because it did, um, it did save me. I would say, I've been living in America for 30 years now and I lived in Iraq only 20 years. And I think financially also I've become more American. Now I have credit cards and I have debts and all of that, but that, you know, so that's the bad side of it. But I always saved and I always valued the importance of saving, you know, um, and that was, was saved me in very, um, at, you know, challenging times in my life, you know, we, sometimes, you know, at a at different age, you know, at different points in my life. So that mentality that you need to save and you need to stabilize your uh, safety uh, mechanism is very important. And truly financial independence for women is clearly at the heart of a lot of your work. And it's the core of Women for Women International. And I'm just curious how you arrived at that equation that for women in particular, financial independence is the key. I mean, I've, I've, I was fortunate. I learned this young and I, I, every year that I live, it just, it becomes more and more evident to me that this, without financial independence, women cannot be equal. Women cannot have a voice and power in the way that really can make an impact in their lives and others. And so how do you, how did you arrive at that connection? And then how does the organization work women for women international in the sense that how does it bring this to life for women across the world? The, in terms of financial independence, it was like a, 
it's a concept that I grew up with, to be honest. My mom was very financially independent and, and, you know, and I, like, I grew up in a household where she talked and my father talked about her financial independence. She never, like she had his money, she has her money and she, he had his money and he never, she had to also her inheritance and he was never, and he, they made it very clear that that money is hers and he is never to ask her how to spend it or interfere in the process. And so that I think was a, like how I grew up with that. You must be financially independent as a woman and beyond inheritance or earning your own money. My mother used to be like, would shake me at a, as a, you know, hold me from my shoulders. And you, she would tell me, you have got to be strong and you've got to be independent all your life. And that is to speak your mind and to always spend on your own self. Like never allow anybody to uh, take you for granted. As she told me never to, uh, uh, to learn how to cook or clean because no man should expect me to know that just because I was a woman. I mean, how cool is that, right? You know, or, you know, that I have to always be independent no matter what. So it was ingrained to me. And, you know, I grew up, I am a Muslim, Iraqi, Arab woman. And people like, they have, people in the West have the opposite stereotype of that, what that means, you know. (laughs) You know, if I tell them, I grew up actually in the financial independence is at the heart and core of what being a woman is, you know. And I don't necessarily want to generalize that to every woman in that culture, but that sure is how I lived, you know, and how my aunts and my cousins still live and abide by that culture of understanding. And so later on, when I started Women for Women International, I was only 23 years old when I started Women for Women, and I wanted to help, you know, women in in war zones and people were giving them AIDS. There was still, still is a culture of AIDS, of giving them clothes or food or whatever, and from because of the way I was raised, you know, I immediately said, no, they need cash in their hands. You know, they don't need secondhand clothes or it's not that they don't need it. Like that doesn't solve the issue or food that you send to them and tell them this is healthy food. They need to eat their food. And so from like the get go of Women for Women, financial independence and the freedom that gives was actually at the core. So it started with a sponsorship program where I asked women to sponsor one woman survivor of war by sending her $30 a month and giving her the opportunity and, and exchanging letters and pictures with her. That $30 a month for the longest time, I actually, you know, it was given all in cash. More recently, we divided it into some has to be saving, some has to be for training. But from the beginning, it was give her the cash and trust her and respect her that she knows how to spend it. That is like lesson number one, frankly, for the giver, you know, for the savior, for the for the donor is you've got to trust that she knows how to spend that money. And then over time, we le- we taught them about saving and that we made it mandatory to save some of that money, you know, for uh, as just a, a training, part of our training. But I was so touched by that, by the way, and I'm very proud of that because it's still that cash giving to, you know, to um, people in need is still not widespread practices. Actually, I would say it's a relatively new practice right now. People are talking about cash giving, but cash allows you the dignity also. I remember a refugee woman who did not, you know, was like sleeping on a 
cardboard, basically, with her family. Her husband was just released from concentration camp. They were tortured, all of that. But what she was really most concerned about is buying a pair of jeans for her teenage son. And I looked at her with, like, with judgment. I was like, gee, we're giving her that cash so she can buy a pair of jeans for her son. Who cares? You know, and... You know, that's my judgment as a donor, right? And I really learned fast in conversation with her that that pair of pair of jeans for her, which I saw it as a frivolous act or spending for her was the most important thing as a mother because she was so scared that if she does not get her teenage son who just wanted the pair of jeans, that she he may steal it. And so it was part of essential part of her identity as a mother and her motherhood, mothering of the son. And I learned, and this was only one of many lessons I have learned over and over and over, not to judge how people spend it because it's they are putting it on a priority that I may not understand. Yes. Um, yeah, I um, never. So I that mean, was from the beginning at uh, at Women for Women, and then later on we we tra- turned it into training, vocational skills training, and business skills training, so they can actually also earn their own living beyond the cash that they were given for a year. I like the linkage between having your own money and the dignity that it uh, that it provides you. That's uh, that's invaluable. Oh my gosh! And then I think you're also learning along the way as the recipient of that money you know, the, 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 the empowerment that comes with having your own cash, it's dignity, it's empowerment. Um, I know when I watched you on Oprah's, uh, super soul Sunday, you quoted Rumi. I, I heard that you said one of your daily rituals is to open Rumi's book and just whatever page you land on, that is the day that whatever that message is or that poem, that's what guides you. And so I looked up Rumi and the word money just to see like, oh. what has Rumi said about money. And there's an interesting quote from his work that he says, if you want money more than anything, you will be bought and sold. And I just wonder about that because I think out of context, that can be taken the wrong way that I think we should all be okay with wanting money, maybe not more than anything, but money's important. And I think we can agree on that. Um, but uh, I don't know, have you ever come across that quote? Do you do you, do you have any thoughts well, on that it? Well, that quote, I think what he means by that quote, I mean, the first thing that, because I actually agree with that quote, is that if you chase money, you may earn the money, but you will. I mean, that's a guaranteed. Still find yourself one day asking the question, who am I? What am I? What is the purpose of life? And, you know, so, you know, so I, you know, so because if, if your purpose and I, you know, there are a lot of people who like, I get personally, like I would never work with someone whose goal is to be rich and famous. Never. Because it's the wrong goal to be rich and famous. Now I am not against being rich or famous, but the richness and the fame comes when it comes because you followed your dreams and your ambitions and it does come a lot of times more, more than it doesn't, you know, then, then it, it's, it, the wealth comes, but it is plus knowing who am I, 
what am I and knowing yourself. And I cannot tell you how many people I know in my life who only chased the money. And at one point there's enough money and that they go into this major crisis, identity crisis of who am I and what am I? And, 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 and because at one point money does not pay you for that. It does not pay you for happiness. And so all when I'm, I think that quote from Rumi says is don't chase it and sell yourself in the process. Sell yourself short in the process because you want to get money. I would say, follow your dream. This is what I would interpret it as. Follow your dream, follow your ambition and all the things that people run after, you know, uh, money and fame. Although I would argue, please don't follow fame because, you know, Following money, at least it has more, you know, safety in it. Fame doesn't do anything, you know. But I was like, if you want that, then follow. It comes better when you're following your heart, basically. So that's what I would argue it, it says. Well, as a student of Rumi, you would know. Um, he's, <laughs> Not necessarily. Yeah. But no, that's but my belief. Let's yes. My yes. Belief. It makes sense. It definitely makes sense. You talked about, you know, pursuing your dream and, for many years, you did that. You started this nonprofit. You changed in many women's lives, both in, in, in the Arab countries and everywhere. And now you've pivoted to more of the media storytelling broadcasting world. And what advice do you have for women who also want to do a career pivot? I think it's important to be open to many acts in your life. And when did you know it was the right time for you to move on? And, and any advice you have for others who want to who want to do that? I knew when I wanted to move on emotionally. I mean, I mean, intellectually, I always knew that I would leave woman for woman after 20 years, you know, that I made that decision when I founded it, but I didn't think, Oh, I'm going to pivot into this career. I knew when I wanted to move on in a time in which I felt I had a new dream, you know, and that my current job was not stretching me and I wasn't growing and I wasn't learning. And as a result, you, you know, you itch basically. And so I was like, either I itch within the organization and I may hurt the organization in my itch or I itch and and go and find my own uh, path. So I knew, I mean, I, I have been lucky, um, several times now. And I really count my blessings for that to, to have known what I wanted to do. So I didn't leave Women for Women without knowing what I wanted to do. I left Women for Women knowing that I want to switch to the media and I want to actually, and the dream started with going to Arab and Muslim women, acknowledging their voices, showing the possibilities of change from within the culture. And then, you know, showing, building, building not only big bridges between women, but small bridges between women. And that is sometimes bridges within women of the same culture or the same religion. So we started, you know, so I went back to like sort of home to do that. And that brought me into the media and back to America, into the media world in America. But but I also did, so I, I would say if I, and I, so far, you know, a lot of times I get personal private calls of people saying, what do I do? I would say a couple of things, take the time to rest in between careers. You know, I mean, like I took a year off of just saying, I know what I want to do next. 
but I really want to rest first, you know, and find my equilibrium again, you know? So I urge people to take time to rest and maybe not a year, maybe whatever time, and maybe in your current job, not necessarily before knowing what you want to do, but taking that time to rest. And the best advice I got from someone who said, you need to rest until you need to play and play until you need to rest. And I actually thought resting is sleeping and playing is, um, skating, you know, literally or play piano, whatever. And then it took, and then I like, after a few months, I was like, well, I slept enough and I skate enough. Like, you know, what do I do now? And she said, you know, I didn't mean that. I meant everything in your life needs to feel like rest and play. And the minute it stops feeling rest and play, and that includes work, then you need to like do something about it. And so find that, find that meaning of what is rest and what is play means. But then it's not easy. Um, as, as I, but then it's not as easy as I make it sound to honestly, cause like switching career means also sometimes you have to prove yourself from the beginning, you know, and that's tough. And so it's at, at the beginning, I was devastated. I was like, what? I worked so hard to prove myself and now I have to do it again. And then I'm in, and, and now I'm, I'm grateful for it because there are things you forget at the height of your career. You forget how you started. You forget humility. You forget humbleness. You forget many values. You you actually forget how to be frivolous about money. Talk about money, you know, and 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 is counting every penny and making sure that you're doing the right decisions. As you grow in your career, you know, you start becoming more loose about these things, and you forget some of these concepts where you started from. So you know, starting all over again is was not easy at all. It was devastating as a matter of fact for a few times but then I'm in hindsight I'm extremely grateful for it because it reminded me of what's essential and what's most important and that skills I had lost or forgotten or or behavior I had lost or forgotten and and it reminded me of it and it, and with that reminder I would say it, it deepens the connection between me and the people I care most about and in my case it's marginalized people all over the world or it's women or sometimes even my friends and family you know because you get successful and then you forget a lot of your connections to yourself and to your values and sometimes and and the journey starting over reminds you of that um and then do it without risking your safety that's another lesson I learned, you know, like, you know, be the adventure entrepreneur, but also be sure to stay in your safety. There's no need to shake in your safety in that. And that is both, I would say, financial as well as emotional, that the, whatever we're launching, uh, whatever we're passionate about does not require us to self-sacrifice. And I learned it really the, the hard way that, you know, sacrifice, self-sacrifice is not necessarily to succeed. Such an important message. And I think um, so refreshing to hear from such a successful, accomplished woman who's making such an impact to say, you know what, stay in your safety sometimes because you need to protect yourself. And I think that is a big message that you're out going out with now, right? Which is the importance of self-care, self-love, taking care of yourself because you for 20 years were at Women for Women International. And you said like it was... It took a lot out of you and you don't regret it, but I've, I've, I heard you in an interview say like it was just really tiring and, and it was time to move on. But like, how do you remember to take care of yourself? It has to be conscious. 
It sure is because you know, like I, I always use the fab. You know, that if my piece, if my soul was a piece of uh, cloth, I really squeezed it. You know, to every minute of it, and you know, and the result is I was left depleted, depleted, sad, um, bored. Uh, like there was no energy for me and no energy to give. And I never, ever like, and I, it was because ser- being in service for me was give, 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 give. And it took my collapse, not once, many times, you know, my crash, you know, into like sheer exhaustion and like in being immobile and even sick to realize Oh my God, what's the point if I lose this, if I lose my well-being, if I lose my joy, if I lose my health, what's the point of doing this? I can't even do it anymore, right? And so I, I learned the tough way and the hard way, you know, that when I sacrifice all of me. And it's not like, it's not that I'm much better right now. I'm just more conscious about it. I have to catch <laughs> myself, you know, you know, it's like, don't, uh, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and to be more confident that if I say no, because I really need to take care of myself to really be confident that more people understand than not. I mean, I really was afraid to say no, you know, that I can't, that I'm gone, I'm really tired or I'm really not feeling well. And I start practicing that of telling the truth. Like I really cannot come to this event because, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well. And oh my God, the opposite of what I expected uh, happened. People send me, people I did not know, event organizer, whatever, would send me like most loving, sincere, beautiful message saying, you have all our love and support. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for telling, you know, so you know, it, it was like, wow. So if I tell the truth that I really cannot go right before I would just put it together and just go and do it, you know, and when I was more honest about it and respected myself first as a way to give to, to the world, it worked. It like it, it. We're told the opposite, you know, because especially as women, we're like give, 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 give. It's the opposite, really. It does work if you they, do take and there are nuances of it, you know. Don't do it, you know. Do it with kindness to others and to yourself. Do it with consciousness, but it does work. And I mean, my heart goes out to a lot of my activist friends right now, or people who are, you know, putting themselves out on the line, and it, they inspire me. And in the meantime. My passion now is like to tell them and make sure, keep, keep fighting, whatever you are fighting for or whatever you're working on building, but do not sacrifice yourself because you shall regret it. And it, it is that when they tell you in the plane, put the oxygen on you before your child, it is so true. If you're happy, all around you is happy. And if you are well, all around you is well. Zainab Salbi, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for all of your contributions and have to ask you, what is your big goal for the new year? Do you, are you a goal setter? Do you, do you make lists? What's on the top of your, uh, your accomplishment list for the new year? <laughs> well, thank you for this interview. First of all, I really appreciate how much prepared you are and how you ask me questions that are meaningful for me as well, oh, which so I really glad. appreciate. Thank you. Um, 
And yes, I enter every year with a mission, you know, with like a, a slogan yes. <laughs> for myself. Um, and that defines the year to come. I am still working on it. You know, I haven't uh, found it yet. I can tell you where I, where I am now. So it's not, but I have to refine it. It's not there. Is I really, and I'm putting a list together right now. I have my own journal that I, I, I populated with lists as they pop out in my mind. But on top of them is, is to whatever act I show, it has to be based on kindness to myself first. And then, and because understanding that the kindness to others comes from understanding the meaning of kindness to myself. So I don't know what that means, uh, honestly, you know, but this is where I am right now. I, um, recently had a major health challenge, which shocked me being a very healthy woman myself. Um, it shocked me that this came and I realized that, wow, like we, are, you know, they are, we are not, I am not always, I haven't been always kind to myself, um, in, in my career ambition and my, you know, ambition to charge and change the world or, or whatever, you know, or financial ambition or career ambition it doesn't matter, but I haven't always been kind. I just been driven and living in New York doesn't help you, <laughs> you know, it, it's because it's all about drive, drive, drive. And when I was in the hospital bed, I was like, wow, no, I, this is not how uh, to, to, to live life. And I still want, I'm, I'm one of those people who I believe I'm here to help contribute to the world in a positive way. And I am a person of service. It's just, how do we do that service has changed its dynamics and its meaning in its life. So I don't know yet, but this is where I am, but it's, it, I'm populating the list. I can tell you, I have two pages of it so far. Until I refine the slogan for next year. This is the exercise. This is the work that goes into being Zainab Salbi. We so appreciate you and we wish you a wonderful rest of the year and hope you get all those, all that, that whole list, all two pages. Hope it uh, comes to fruition in 2020. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, same to you. You can learn more about Zainab on her website, ZainabSalbi.com. Dot com and also women for women at womenforwomen.org. All this information is on so moneypodcast.com where you can download the transcript, listen to the audio, share it, and also leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.